You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Hey, welcome everybody to Real Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr. This is episode nine. Yep, getting up there. How about that? We're, uh, we're really going to break the seal off of this thing today. And let's just get wild with some guests. We've got uh, Ron Phillips in studio today. I'm sorry, he's not in studio. He's on our computer that everybody can't see. I'm in a studio, Craig. You are in a studio, that is right. So, uh, and we also have Fred Lewis here. So let's get some introductions out of the way. Uh, Ron Phillips is a friend and he's the founder of and CEO of RP Capital. RP Capital is a real estate brokerage specializing in residential income producing properties. And more than a brokerage, RP Capital is actually Ron's platform for educating, training, and empowering emerging and seasoned investors. RP Capital has actually been ranked in the top 25% of Inc. 500's list of America's fastest growing companies in 2015, and they offer a proprietary software suite so Ron's clients can create their own real estate wealth plan. Ron, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Jack, why don't you introduce your partner, Fred? Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Ron is a member of uh, Real Investor Roundtable, which is the mastermind that we've referenced in previous episodes that we run as a nonprofit just to share ideas with uh, who we you know, think are the, the best practitioners in the country. And Ron's been a member of that for a number of years, and we've learned a ton from him. Hopefully, the feelings likewise. And Very so, mutual, uh, yes. Very, very excited to have Ron uh, join us today on some topics that he's had a lot of opinions in the mastermind. And so we wanted to share some of those ideas with all the listeners here today. And also towards that end, uh, I'm excited to uh, have uh, my partner, Fred Lewis, join as well. He's the, the founder of Dominion. Uh, my mentor in real estate hired me when I was 23 and really taught me everything that I know and um, very proud to to be able to call him my partner. Fred, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Give the folks some background. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. I founded Dominion in 2001 uh, at, at a time where it was a different uh, market to acquire, really uh, focused on really uh, looking at uh, quality distressed real estate, uh, putting them into rental service, developed a flipping business, uh, built a private lending company. Uh, it was uh, much like it is actually today, kind of very difficult in the in those early years for investors to get capital to do their deals. So it's kind of come full circle. Uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride for over the last 20, 21 years. Uh, I've seen so much, and it's uh, still love every day of it. Well, I'll just add that uh, I can't express the amount that I've learned over the years uh, from Fred, and especially initially as a young flipper in the space. I could tell a funny story or two, but uh, I won't bore people with it, but thank you for all, that, uh, all the advice and consult Great. that you've given over the years. Uh, Ron, we're here today to talk about syndications because evidently you're an expert in the space. And uh, I'm just kidding, uh, but you've done so much uh, with syndications, Ron. And we wanted to just basically start off with sort of like a framework for, you know, really where syndications have been over the last, I'll say 10 years, and then sort of move into, you know, where they are now, uh, where the money's uh, going now, and then uh, maybe some prognostications. It's tough. Yeah, that's a early. big word. It's tough one early in the morning uh, on sort of where the market's going. And so uh, you want to you want to jump us in here and then, uh, you know, yeah, I'll step back and let you guys 
hash it out. Sure. So like in the, I'd say in the lead up, you know, kind of late teens, like 17, 18, 19, multifamily syndication, you know, was that, that industry benefited from declining interest rates over time. The market was just generally good, had some, some tailwinds behind it. Folks who got into that business made money doing it. And, you know, you could always refi at lower interest rates. Rents always seemed to be up. Um, there was always more liquidity in the market. And so kind of given that kind of long period of time with tailwinds, uh, the industry has gotten more and more competitive. And just, just to back up real quick, for those who haven't done syndications before, what I would ta- we're talking about here is someone who finds the deal, raises money, is going to be the operator uh, on the business plan. And they're generally, they're typically the general partner in a general partner, limited partner structure. The limited partners are the money guys. So the general partner will find the deal, put a presentation together, uh, and then go to their network or uh, however they're raising money and offer equity interests to limited partners. And so those limited partners are uh, just passive investors and are looking for a passive return uh, at some point after the the general partner has executed the business model. Typically, there's a refinance uh, that brings some money back to the limited partners. They continue to get checks as kind of mailbox money as passive investors. And uh, and then ultimately, in some point in the future, the general partner decides to sell the project and uh, hopefully makes a profit and distributes proceeds to the limited partners. And so that that kind of typical business model. You you, you know, of course, to do that, you uh, you're raising money, so you're selling securities. So the, the proper way to do that is to do a, a Reg D offering. Uh, there's a bunch of different sections that we could, maybe we'll go in some other time, you know, the, the different, if you're, if you're going to do a syndication, what the different considerations are, we're not going to get into those details today. Today's a bit more about- Yeah, this market. isn't a how-to today. Yeah, yeah. This is, gonna, this is more just, you know, how that business model is going. Uh, and so- in the lead up to you know the, the late teens, uh, there was a lot of that activity, and then in 2020 and 2021, with just an abundance of cheap capital, that really kind of took off. The number of syndications that were happening, particularly in the multifamily space, is what we're going to focus on today. Uh, really kind of took off, and and because of the rising rents, you know, because people were, you know, whether whether you executed well or not, frankly, uh, in the the late teens, you. Probably you're, you're out, you did well as a general partner. Your your limited partners did what you know tended to do well. They didn't want their money back, right? It was an easier time. Yeah, it was an easier time. Rising market, rising uh, rents, a track record of making money, lots of capital being thrown at it. You know, there were no headwinds. It seemed for syndicators. Exactly. Right. And then 2020 and 2021, the the cheap debt of that period of time put that idea on steroids. <laughs> And then rent started to increase. And so, you know, it's going, uh, it's kind of jumping the shark when you start to see guys on Instagram hyping how they can teach you how to be a syndicator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Every, everything you said, in addition to that, it was sometime around 19 when all of the syndication education happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that was going on before that, but it really caught fire, maybe 18, 19, and it spawned a whole bunch of brand new people. And I mean, brand new, like people who hadn't really done very many small deals were now all of a sudden doing very large deals in comparison with a whole bunch of other people's money and really none of their own. And many times going out and, and getting another partner because they couldn't qualify for the debt that you talked about, right? So usually general partner 
has enough, you know, stones to be able to go out and get a loan for the property. And they do that. But many times, you know, in the in the education space, of course, they try to figure out how how can anybody go do this? Well, anybody shouldn't be doing this, <laughs> but anybody got taught to do it anyway. Right. right. And so now you got a whole bunch of people out there who are making deals. They're going and getting people who do have the balance sheet to be able to get the debt and then a whole bunch of other people with money. And you've got a person in the middle who's getting a very large acquisition fee up front. And now they just have to operate this, you know, the syndication game taught people how to do syndications and roughly what the numbers were, but they really weren't good at teaching operations, which is the only way this thing works. And so there's really sloppy operations going on out there. And like you said, Cheap money makes sloppy operations look okay until the money isn't cheap anymore. Ron, you and I have had uh, very recent discussions about sort of the effects of the appreciating market and how it makes everybody look like a brain surgeon. And I feel like that's the game that's being played or has been played for the last eight or so years. So I'm going to find an asset, I'm probably going to pay a little too much for it. Throw a little Definitely. value at it. I'm going to raise rents because I can. And then I'm going to sell this thing at a better cap rate and cash everybody out. I think that's been sort of the crystal ball investing. And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, Fred and I think, I, th I think it was like two years ago at one of our meetings, mm -hmm. we were having a conversation about this and I was, I was telling everybody that this is going to go away. This is going away and it's going to go away quick because, you know, there's this false there's this false assumption that cap rates remain pretty steady. And I think generally speaking, that's true, but not when the market gets upended. It, it, that didn't track last time. It's not going to track this time. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't really understand loans very well because they, they think that leverage is always a good thing and leverage isn't always a good thing. And, you know, based on your cap rate, it could be a, a really bad thing. It could be better to pay cash than it is to, to leverage. And right now we're, we're pretty much there. I mean, interest rates are, are hovering right around exactly where the cap rates are, or in some cases it's flipped, mm -hmm. especially in the outside of the multifamily market, like in the single family market and the small multifamily market, it's already flipped. Interest rates are like seven and a half percent. And, you know, people are still selling properties at a five and a half, six and a half percent cap rate. So you're, you're upside down. And that's very rapidly going to happen to the uh, to the multifamily market. Yeah, the in late 2021, one of the other reasons that it you know became very attractive to get involved in syndications, people were making making money, right? So they're starting to pay taxes. They're looking for way. You know, a lot of people get into real estate. One of the features of being in real estate is that there are some tax efficiency strategies that you can that you can use to offset your current income. One of the major ones that is now winding down that has been a huge uh, factor the past three or four years is bonus depreciation, mm -hmm. um, where you can do a, a cost segregation study to uh, have your, uh, which allows your accountant to draw the distinction between 515 and uh, long-term property. And you can bonus, you've been able to bonus depreciate, basically accelerate all of the five and 15 year property into your year one deduction. Uh, and so that's, that's a, a huge help in terms of being able to kind of accelerate the depreciation and offset your current income. 
we had that motivation in mind uh, when we in 2021 we were doing well in the lending business, and so we said, "Hey, you know, we want to let's go." At the end of 2021, we saw a big tax bill that was headed our direction. We said, "Hey." we want to get involved in some syndications so that we can get some bonus depreciation allocations as a limited partner. You know, we basically, we've got some money that set, set aside that we've made and we want to invest it in, in some deals sure. to help offset taxes and get some exposure to multifamily, which was going great at the time. And so with that motivation in mind, we, you know, we went out at the end of 2021. You know, this is before interest rates started to increase and kind of did a survey of every multifamily syndication deal that we could find over the course of a 30, 45 day period. Mm -hmm. And so Fred, we probably looked at what, like 30, like probably 30 deals. Yeah, uh, pro probably more, uh, probably 40 deals. All, yeah, all over the country, different flavors of stuff. And it was a really eye-opening exercise to do that because the, just the spectrum of frankly, like financial competence, operational competence, like just like common sense business practices. Well, how deep did you go? So, I mean, you, you got the, basically their prospectus or, you know, whatever the, their, their deal break. Yeah. You got the deck and right? so yeah, the deck. Oh, that's perfect. And so what did you discern just by looking at that? Go ahead, Fred. Well, I think what's interesting is this entire market happened because of, of it one huge distortion. If you think about the amount of capital that came into the economy in general yep. during the early parts of COVID and in, into COVID, six, six, seven trillion dollars came into the economy. The amount of capital that, that went into the average person's pocket, into businesses, PPP loans, mm -hmm. uh, so much capital was available that that distortion led to, to a lot of what we're talking about today. Syndications as a business model is a good business model for experienced real estate people. There's nothing wrong with syndications. It's, it's the abuse. It's the absolute abuse of the business model that really was caused first by the distortion of capital what, that came into the business. What specifically did you guys see when you were looking at decks that was like a red flag for you? Well, the first thing we saw is how many brokers were hawking deals. <laughs> so if, if you think about it, there's so much money at that moment in syndications that they can pay the broker or the marketer a, a, a huge fee to go find people like us or anybody else who's got some capital to put in a deal. So re really, that's the first thing is that if you want to get into a syndicated multifamily deal in 2000, at the end of 2021, all you had to do is turn your computer on. Mm -hmm. And you're going you're gonna to hit 10 brokers. You're going to email them. They're all of a sudden, you're going to get in a list and then you're going to get 20 emails. So we just took the time, talked to the brokers. We talked to some friends we knew in the industry. We talked to, to who we thought were anywhere from sophisticated uh, syndicator, uh, real experienced real estate guys, all the way down to, to, to people who we met through brokers, met through uh, various contacts. And, and one of the commonalities we saw was the amazing lack of actual real experience in real estate, something that Ron just mentioned uh, more in yep. your opening about. Uh, and I like to use the the 27-year-old kind of example. There's yeah. so many freaking 27-year-olds who maybe did a deal with a partner. Maybe they did one deal on their own, much smaller. And then all of a sudden, they, they realized that we can skip step two through 10. <laughs> and we're just going to go right to 11, which is we're going to syndicate a $30 million multifamily deal, even though I've never quite done that before. But I'm going to create a narrative that sounds good. 
And I'm going to draft off of historical, historical being in the last 12 to 24 months. Their rents yep, have, my historical, right? right my my historical years. Because I graduated college <laughs> three years ago. And uh, my historical is it's all good because rent growth has been, you know, 12 to 20% annualized yep. for the last three years. So why would it not increase the same, particularly if I'm going to convert what is a C-class older multifamily into a B-class, which is a great, great kind of smokescreen story. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, that That is true to some extent. I mean, it certainly is, but it, it certainly can be played. And, and I think that's what, uh, when we were interviewing a lot of folks, we saw the unsophisticated syndicator who basically just pounded their, their chest that these assumptions were correct. And tried to create the best story possible. Stories are great, yeah. great storytellers. It was more, it was worse than that, Fred. Like I talked to syndicators, I had guys who called me too, and they very, very similar to what you said. They were like, hey, Ron, can you look at this deck and tell me what you think? And I would say, yeah, like uh, you need to go back there and ask them why they think their exit is going to be a four and a half percent cap rate. You need to ask them why they think 18 months from now that the interest rates are going to be the same or lower. And you need to ask them why in year five they think that the rents are going to appreciate at the same rate they did last year every single year. You need to go ask them a whole bunch of questions. And then the guy calls me back two days later and he's like, hey, this, this guy's like really upset and he wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, get him on the phone. And then I ask him these questions. He starts laughing at me. He said, I said, listen, in this particular market, do you know that there's going to be like 500 new units directly down the street from you in, in like the next 12 months? He goes, yeah, that's just all... That means uh, my my appreciation numbers are going to be locked in because I got brand new properties over there. And I said, you're a fool. You're going to have 500 units you're competing with that are all going to hit the market at the same time. Your crappy units that, you're, that are not brand new, that you're trying to turn from a C class to a B class, and you're going to be competing with brand new units down the road who are all, every single one of those, those buildings is going to put tons of of give me's on the front end because they've got 500 units sitting and a whole bunch of investors that they have to pay out. As you're a moron, it's going to negatively impact the rents. And I said, the, the cap rate isn't going to remain at four and a half percent. And by the way, your property isn't new anyway. So it's not a four and a half percent cap rate. I, I mean, there were so many holes in that pitch deck and the dude laughed. Like you were saying, like, I've done, how many of these deals have you done? I, I've done this many deals. I'm like, well, you're going to lose a lot of money then over the next couple of years if you did them all this way. But that's what I can tell you. Yeah, in the, so like we would get these decks, we'd be, you know, you know, and everything was, the, you know, the, the consistent theme was that every single deal was a value add where we're going to spend, we're going to do seven to $10,000 in CapEx turning over this. It's, uh, it's rented under market right now because of because mm. of mismanagement, right? Like everyone's a mismanager. Everyone who every, every seller, seller is a mismanager. Every seller's an idiot. Yeah, every seller's an idiot. And they in it. It's and, a mom and pop. His guy's seventy years old. He hasn't raised rents, and you know we're going to spend seven <laughs> to ten thousand dollars per unit. And we're going to be able to increase rents from eight hundred and fifty dollars to twelve seventy five on average. And we're going to do that in a twelve month period. And uh, and, and yeah, yeah, as if like as if the market like without any context of like can, well. Can the market can that market afford twelve? Can those humans right? Can they afford twelve seventy five? Sure. Like, there's there's a hundred of them there at eight fifty, like you know, for a reason. And you know that that you could 
spend 10 grand and increase rents by 50% was like this common theme. Mm -hmm. And then from that point forward, when you dug in and said, hey, give me the financial model, the Excel spreadsheet that foots to this, you know, copy and pasted thing you've you've put into your PDF, uh, this copy and pasted pro forma that you put into your PDF, when you actually dug into the Excel spreadsheet, you'd see that they were increasing their market rents so that upon renewal, they're, they're, they're actually getting additional rent increases. Uh, their expense ratio was, you know, they lied, right? Like it's just a freaking lie. When mm-hmm. you when you when you tell me that an eight hundred and fifty dollar a month rent has an expense ratio of twenty five to thirty percent, it's a lie. Uh, like those, you know, those units are forty five percent expense ratio. When you get into the twelve, you know, twelve to fifteen hundred dollar range, maybe you can get it down to like thirty five or even thirty percent when you get up to like eighteen hundred dollar a month rents. Not on a large multifamily anyway. They don't operate at thirty to thirty five percent. Maybe yeah. a single family home, but you. If you get over 100 units, you have payroll and stuff. I mean, you you have staff that's on site that you have to fund on top of all of the normal single family home stuff that you have to fund. You've got a small business that you're running there with human beings on site in addition to your tenants, right? It's, It's not just a set it and forget it. It's a business that you have to run. And most of these people didn't have any business experience either. Or if they did have business experience, it was a failed business. And this was a good quick way to go get $250,000, $350,000 up front on a deal they didn't have any idea how to operate. So, so Ron, to, to build on what you said earlier, we, in our conversations with the syndicators, uh, we'd say, hey, we got a bunch of questions. We want to talk to the guy you know, that's put this deck out. And the first thing we'd hear is, well, what are your questions? And we would put out the same questions you put out, uh, your, your assumptions around you know, rental increases, your expense ratios, uh, your cap rates, why you buying this at a two and a half cap because you think you can get it to, a, you know, to, to some other number. To a four. Uh, and the common answer was, well, nobody else is asking those questions. It's, it was amazing to me how few people were asking the questions we were asking. And how many people were throwing down, giving a, an average of fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars in in a lot of these deals? You could tell how few people were asking those questions because of just frankly how unprepared yeah. the sponsor was for what we consider to be just like you know just basic basic questions. And they and and to the extent they had an answer, the answer was very very staged as a one sentence answer. And, and they didn't know the detail, as you said, about, about what's coming to the market, why that cap rate's appropriate. And then when we asked for the financial modeling, as, as Jack alluded, they felt, a lot of them just felt offended. What do you mean you need to look at my financial model? Well, we, did, we, didn't, we, wouldn't, in, we wouldn't even go to step, step two unless we got the financial model. And the financial models, we found mathematical errors. We found formula errors. We just assumptions that just can't be true. They have this concept in in multifamily, lost to rent. And so when you have uh, this concept of going from a C class to a B class, and you're going to go from the $800 rent to $1,200, you can, one can argue that, well, all the rent should be $1,200. So my loss to rent is $400 a unit. Never, never mind that it's going to cost me uh, a ton of money and time to get from $800 to $1,200. Don't look at how long it's going to take. So I'm going to perform at 1200 because that's what my rent should be. Yeah, on, on, on your... And here's the other thing too, is they would put these numbers in from year one mm-hmm. as if there was not going to be a rehab. And I, you know, 
I would talk to these guys and what you would think would be a common sense basic thing, right? That if you're going to turn these units in 12 months, that means everybody's on a month to month and you're literally kicking everyone out. Right. And you're doing all the rehab now. It's the only way, literally the only way you can do a 12-month turn on a, right. on a property. And I would argue that even then you're probably not going to because you still have however many hundred of units that you're, that you're doing this to that you've got to fill back up with all the new tenants that, to Jack's point, may or may not even be able to afford 1200 or whatever the new rent is, right? Yeah, you're gonna flood the you're gonna flood the market with twelve hundred dollar a month rents. Yeah, I'm in a deal right now. We've owned for two years, and we still haven't raised all of the rents because we have legacy tenants that are still in there, and we keep increasing their rents. Why would I take somebody who's actually paying me rent on time, has lived in this property forever, and raise their rent four hundred fifty dollars in one whack when I can keep them there and have income while the other people who can't afford it anyway, I'm turning their units and increasing to 1200. Why would I kick out the person who's performing? I can increase their rent a, a normal amount and I can keep doing that year over year until they move out. Unless I just want to experience a full vacancy in my building, which is fine, but you have to put that in your financials. Well, Ron, that's because an experienced real estate uh, investor understands credit loss and understands uh, vacancy rate because you increase the rent on someone from eight to $1,200, a number of those folks just go vacant. They just leave because there's a reason why they can only afford $800. Maybe they can afford 850. Maybe they, you, can, you can scale them up over time. But, uh, but when you model a, a multifamily deal at you know, 96, 97% occupancy, it's not the same if you increase rents 40%. It's just not the same <laughs> and, and, math. And Fred, it's on a property that never, right. even at 850, never got to 96 to 98% occupancy. It was never there anyway. So somehow the 27-year-old who has no business experience and doesn't know how to operate is going to make that happen. So I, had a, I, I remember a, a, a conversation with one of these 27-year-olds and I said to him, so wait a minute, you're going to get to $1,200 and I don't see an entry here for credit loss. He's like, why would I put credit loss in? Everyone's paying. Yeah, but everyone's paying seven, $800 a month in rent. And you think they're paying because the seller who's selling this to you at a three cap tells you everyone's paying. Right. Let's see the loss runs. Hey, I just want to uh, jump in here with a great story that uh, looks like it was August, yeah, August 1st. Uh, it's in therealdeal.com. And uh, it's entitled Multifamily Maelstrom. And it really speaks to this point of all the new entrants and frankly, the new money, those distortions that you were talking about. I love this. It says, some big players in the multifamily market have never experienced the bad times, the rough times, right? Those in their 20s and 30s, the 27-year-olds, were in junior high or senior high <laughs> around the Great Recession. It's hard to believe, but yeah. it's so true. The current fallout hitting these investors in these rental properties is uh, rivaling this, the distress seen right now in the office market. And that must be a really eye-opening moment for them. So I'll ask you all. Look, I, I think there is that youthful exuberance and and uh, and frankly ignorance that comes with sort of the rising market of the last ten years. But 
the amount of money, like th- this, uh, this story talks about two firms in particular, Rise 48, which is a multifamily investment firm. Who's, who's a 27 year old? 27 year old. Very good friend. Named Zach. Yes, that's correct. Because they're all 27 year olds. We weren't going to, we weren't going to out the guy, but, yeah. uh, okay. since he's here in the story, um, <laughs> So in just four years, they've amassed $1.4 billion in assets. That is a fast-growing company, Fred, even faster than your own. And Tide's Equity, founded by Sean Kia and Ryan Andrade, both in their 30s, they're, they're ancient. They've acquired an even bigger portfolio over the past few years, $7 billion. And so this ain't mom and pop money coming at us here. This is not, you know, grandmom's got $150,000 to lend. This is big institutional money coming at them. So I'll ask you all, are they dumb guys too? You know, do they not see the writing in these decks? Do they not look at the decks and say, hey, wait a minute here. Let's ask some tough questions. Have you seen their decks? Have you seen the institutional guys' decks? I've seen a couple in the mobile home space, but not in the multifamily space. Look, look, some of the guys who are running large head funds are really, really smart. And they've hired really good real estate operators and they know their numbers. But there's a ton of hedge funds that have no freaking idea. And frankly, I'm not sure that they care. Run the run the math on this. Let's say that you did uh, what what was the 27 year old? He was at what, seven billion? Four billion? Uh, seven billion was the guy in his 30s. That's uh, Tides Equities. Run three percent of whatever, one point four billion. That's what he made on acquisition fees alone. Yeah, he's happy. So, so the part of the problem, to your point about the institutional capital, is that uh, when you have a significant distortion like what we saw, uh, you, you do have that, that greater full theory that yep. comes into play. Is that when, and, and the institutional guys, they make their money by deploying capital. That's it. That's yes. how they make their money. They get, they get their base salaries, it's not what they play for. They play for getting paid to deploy money. And if they see deals that are successful, and, and we all don't know how long the, full, the greater full theory actually exists, because it could, it could start in 2019, it could go to 2028. Nobody really knew. Yep. Uh, the money was abundant, you know, capital was cheap, rents were going up, things were starting to escalate. And so there is a, there's a phenomena that, that institutional money does not want to miss. The, they don't want to miss the party. And that's really what happens. Yeah. And so they fool themselves and they fool themselves because they're incented to deploy. And the syndicator is incented to deploy. Everybody is incented down that chain incorrectly. There's no real alignment with the guy that's going to end up losing the money. And the, and, right. and the people who put in the money into the hedge fund and the hedge fund put the money into the syndicator uh, and then the Crowd Street guy that gave the syndicator some money, which I guess we'll talk talk about as well. All those people are getting money from somebody else who doesn't necessarily understand the risk they're taking. I backed out of a deal. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I backed out of a deal in the mobile home space where company basically wanted to work with a small boutique equity firm, wanted to uh, work with us to be a sponsor. Uh, we would go out, find deals. They would put up the equity, and then they would find the debt elsewhere. And uh, we showed them a deal and I was not a big fan of it. It was 500 units, all park owned, which is not the advantageous side of being on that side of the business. I'm, I know I'm getting off a, on a, a little bit of a tangent here, but it's for a reason. And so the performa that uh, my partner in the business at the time wrote up 
by the way, who had only raised money in the space. He had never operated in the space. And now we're going to take on this massive park in a tough area of Tampa. And I just didn't see us turning all of these things over to tenant owned in a matter of a few years. I didn't see the market quite as rosy as they did. And so it was all of these, all of these factors that went into the deal that I see going into multifamily deals where people are just like, ah, I'll put my blinders onto that. Mm, I gotta, I, I want to raise a billion dollars. So, you know, when we've got to deploy that capital, as you said, Fred, and I just, uh, I had to walk away and I was just, I just don't believe in this. I don't believe in the model that you guys are promoting here. And it's that, it's that what's getting it down to the guy who put the 150 grand in like, like my father would have, and there's no care for that guy. And, uh, I see you operating something completely different, Ron, cause I've seen the way you operate with, uh, with your LP partners and, and the care that you take. So maybe speak to that. Well, I, I think, um, it's probably a good time to bring up the fact that right now I, I happen to know for a fact that the people who are in trouble, there's a bunch of people who are in trouble now and over the next 18 months, there's going to be even more people in trouble. Why? We've been talking about these, these big uh, firms that are, that are going down and they're the ones making the headlines, but every one of them, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of small time operators that we'll never hear about. never went out and did a, a billion, right? But they have 30 million, they have 10 million and Every one of them represents a whole bunch of people just like what you were talking about. And right now, this is the piece that over the last two decades that I've never understood because this has happened before. This isn't the first time, right? This happened before and people went to jail. Mm -hmm. And the reason that people go to jail is because they lie to their investors. So right now there are people out there and they're in trouble because things aren't cash flowing the way that they, that they thought they were going to and they can't make their PREF payments. And so the way that they're doing that is they're going and buying more deals, they're continuing to raise money, and they're over-raising on those deals, and they're moving the money into the deals that have shortfalls, which is illegal, totally. which is illegal. But these guys have no business sense. They don't even realize this is illegal. and. They also don't realize that long-term, this doesn't work. It never works because in order to go get a deal right now, when there's not very many, you have to get sucky deals. Mm -hmm. Like Fred was talking about, they're, they're more interested in deploying capital because they're not making any, they're not making income either. So the way they're making income now is to go out and get more acquisition fees, fees right. and then move money from one to the other. And they're trying to spread all of this money that they're over raising between all of their funds so they can continue to pay people, which is literally the definition of a Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. And it's happening right now. There is an operator that, that I have people who've invested with that I know who is going down. He's getting foreclosed on because he couldn't get a good loan on the last one he did. He actually cross collateralized other fun, other syndication deals that he did. Yeah, exactly. Jack, you're just like, what? what? <laughs> How does this even happen? I'm telling you this this happened. And I know of two other guys, they're all kind of small time guys, but this represents millions of dollars of investor money. And these guys are going to ultimately end up probably going to jail. Their families are going to lose everything. It, this is sad for, for all people involved. And it's all because people are running faster than they should run. 
because money has been easy. But over the next 18 months, as these loans, you know, one of the things we probably ought to talk about is, is how these actual loans work because they don't operate like a 30-year fixed conventional mortgage. It's not the same thing. I, just, I want to put out there, I think, before, you know, as we go into how these deals work and what's, you know, and, and who lent on them, I think it's good to distinguish between the folks who accepted the moral hazard of doing a deal, exaggerating the rental assumptions, exaggerating the expense ratio down, exaggerating the vacancy rate, exaggerating the loss to rent, exaggerating all the key assumptions of a deal because they thought that best case scenario could happen because the moral hazard was, I really make money by doing this, as opposed to a guy like Ron or guys who have, because you can say it's the more experienced guys, but it's also the guys who have integrity. There, there is a difference. You, you, True. It would be wrong of us to say that a 27-year-old doesn't have integrity. There are guys who have integrity at all ages sure. who decide to get into the deal appropriately. We just saw a proliferation of 27-year-olds into, into these syndications because it was, a, it, was a, it was a bastion of moral hazard. But it doesn't mean that there aren't great quality uh, syndicators. I think we just found our show title, by the way. It, we take it personally. <laughs> and Syndications, a bastion of moral hazard. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but, by the way, you don't have Fred, to- Fred, I think we're beating up on, on 27-year-olds because of what's going on in the, in the uh, headlines. But the guy I'm talking about and all the guys that I know, none of them are young and they're not inexperienced. These are guys that have been running yeah. real estate deals for a long time and they just got carried away. And instead of just admitting, right, you should just tell your investors, hey, I F this thing up. Right. And it's going to take us a long time to walk out of it. I'm sorry. But instead, they're not doing that. They're trying to save their reputations and save their and save face by exacerbating the problem and they're going to end up in jail. That's what's going to well, happen. Ryan, the guy that's willing to lie on the front is the same guy who's willing to lie on the back. back. So what's, you know, I think, I th you know, there's an old adage, bet, bet, on, bet on the jockey, you know, in, in every business you invest in or every situation you get involved in. And I think it, it, it plays here. You bet on the team that has experience, has integrity, uh, that actually is going to tell you the truth and has money invested. And the only way you find that out because you don't know these people going in generally is by doing the kind of work that you and Jack did. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to one of the drill downs, the work we did on the front. One of the things that we found interesting is how much cash they had in the deal and how they, and how they can manipulate that answer. Was that, were you shocked at how little they had in the deal generally? I or? was shocked how they mani can manipulate the answer. Go because ahead. Because here's the issue. Let's say they're taking a 2% or a 2% uh, acquisition fee, development fee. They're taking a, a debt placement fee. They're taking every free under the freaking right. sun, right? So by the time you're done, uh, they're 5% equity in the deal, maybe 400 grand. Let's, I vividly remember this example. Okay. Their fees were 450 grand. They were actually, they, they, they actually said, no, 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 we're investing $400,000 of our own money. But don't look over here. It's like, don't, the, it's don't, like the perfect three-card Monty don't game. Don't look under the green cup, because <laughs> right? the green cup means I'm getting 450. Just don't look under the red cup. Yes, and we're good. Wow, there's alignment here, as as if that was you know, as yeah. if that was alignment. 
let's talk about the uh, let's jump in. Let's talk about the you know something that allowed this behavior to happen is the fact that you could get debt for it, right? We've talked you know the the equity you know that's uh, frankly a bit. I feel like it's human nature to once you're winning, you don't want your money back. You just want to redeploy it, right? And someone made money, you don't really, maybe you don't fully understand exactly how they did it. And you don't draw that, maybe you don't draw the distinction between operational excellence and the market, but the, but you, you know, you, so you redeploy with that person, right? So it becomes easier in an up market, it becomes easier each round to raise the equity, but for that to happen, right? For for that, for that to happen, the, the debt has to come along for the ride too. And um, so let's let's jump in and talk about the different kind of debt markets that that happened over that period of time as well. Let's do an awesome radio thing instead. Leave that as a great tease. Plus, I want to talk about sort of the, you know, what are we seeing now and really over the next few years? Let's end this episode here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Real Investor Radio. Tune into the next episode. Thank you.